Hello, Galactic Castaways. This is Alpha Control, the podcast about Irwin Allen's classic sci-fi adventure TV series, Lost in Space. I am your mission controller for this podcast, Colonel Lane August, and I'm joined by my trusty co-controller, Dr. Kurt Kersteiner. Kurt and I are old college chums, children of the 1960s, and most importantly, big fans of Lost in Space. Welcome aboard as we blast off together to celebrate Erwin Allen's Lost in Space. Now, let's get ready to launch. Welcome back, folks, for a special episode of Alpha Control, a Lost in Space podcast. Today I'm flying the Jupiter 2 solo without my trusty co-host, Kurt, but that's because we have a very special guest to interview, Mr. Doug Hines. Doug is the owner and operator of Gotham Cruisers, which is a fantastic company that he started in Dayton, Ohio, producing beautiful, screen-accurate replicas and conversion kits of the classic vehicles from the 1966 Batman TV series, as well as the 1989 Tim Burton Batman movie. Recently, Doug secured a licensing agreement with Kevin Burns of Synthesis Entertainment to produce studio-quality, full-scale replicas of the original Lost in Space robot. This is the first time in several years that a commercially produced, complete B9 replica has been available for sale to the public aimed at those interested in enjoying their own Lost in Space robot without having to build one for themselves. Even better, these absolutely stunning replica B9s offered by Gotham Cruisers will be available at a more affordable price point than earlier commercial versions. Doug's fascinating website, GothamCruisers.com, which I'll link to in the show notes, is full of information and photos about his new B9 robot creations, as well as his other dazzling bat reproduction vehicles. Even if you're not quite in the market for a bat car or a robot yet, you should check it out because it's chock full of fascinating material that any Lost in Space or Batman fan would love to peruse. Before we speak with him, I want to give you a little background information on Mr. Hines. A native of the state of Ohio, Doug grew up loving classic sci-fi fantasy adventure TV such as Lost in Space, Batman, and the original Star Trek. His passion for these properties inspired him to start his own business, producing recreations from these shows. He's also been a longtime member of the B9 Robot Builders Club and completed his own personal Lost in Space robot some years ago. During the course of researching and building his Gotham Cruisers and robots, as well as helping others do the same, Doug has become an expert on the history and specifications of these iconic pieces of sci-fi adventure history. So today we're going to talk to him about these new B9 replicas, but delve a little deeper into the details of these fantastic props and vehicles that have inspired fans for so many years. So sit back and enjoy this engaging and informative conversation with Mr. Doug Hines. Mr. Doug Hines, sir, welcome to Alpha Control. It's so great that you could join us on our podcast celebrating Erwin Allen's original Lost in Space. Well, thank you for having me. It's a thrill to talk with you today. Oh, yeah. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, and I want you to tell us all about your fabulous company, Gotham Cruisers, and, of course, the new B9 robot replicas that you're offering. You're in the business of recreating iconic props from two of my three most favorite TV shows. Maybe all three. We'll have to find out. So I've got a lot of questions to ask you, but before we do, give us a little background uh, information about yourself, a little thumbnail sketch. How did you get interested in these classic sci-fi fantasy adventure TV series and movies? Sure. Yeah, that's a question that's asked quite a bit. Basically, growing up, child of the 70s, watching Lost in Space reruns, also Batman, all the great 60s shows, most of them Irwin Allen shows. 
uh, Love Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Oh, yeah. So started watching all those, especially Lost in Space. Really, you know, got my imagination going and making the Jupiter 2s out of paper plates mm. and doing all that stuff that I think every kid did when, you know, we were watching these shows. And I thought, how cool would it be to have a robot? I mean, because what an iconic character of the show. For me, that was the most neatest part of the whole show was the robot. And fast forward to all these years later, now having the licensing to build full-size replicas, just it's mind-boggling for me. But, but basically, growing up and watching the shows just got me fascinated with props, love to know how things work. So I've always been fascinated, you know, take things apart, hopefully be able to put them back together. Yeah. But just, just to kind of see how this stuff works. I'm a big fan of nostalgia. I love 1950s stuff. My wife and I have a mid-century house, so we're doing all like mid-century furnishings. So we've, we've had fun going to flea markets and estate sales over the years, you know, slowly buying all the furniture for the house. Mm. So I'm kind of a, an old soul, I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a familiar story. So were you watching Lost in Space uh, in first run or syndication? What You said in the 70s, so I'm thinking syndication, right? Yeah, syndication for sure. Same with Batman. I was born in 1964, so did not remember any of this stuff first run. Right. Yeah, well, we're very similar age then. I was born in 1963. So this is like, a, <laughs> it's getting old hat. This story is so familiar and common to the people that love Lost in Space and Batman, for that matter. I love both of those shows and the original Star Trek. Those were like my big three. And so it's neat to connect with people that have a similar background and interest. So the technology yeah. was something that really hooked you in, like you said, the Jupiter 2 and especially the robot. And apparently uh, Batman, the Batmobile was also a big, uh, that's some eye candy that, there, isn't it? Absolutely. That was a big thing too, watching that. I can remember growing up, going to the local county fair. I think we had to pay a quarter to go into a tent and look at the Batmobile. It was on a rotisserie, so it was spinning around slowly, standing wow. there just with your mouth open, it's like, wow. Now, come to find out, I'm pretty positive what I was looking at was one of the replica cars that George Barris built. When the TV series was going on, they built three fiberglass replicas off the original car. Mm. And I'm pretty sure that that was one of them. But, you know, when you're a little kid, that's the Batmobile. Absolutely. Oh, man, that had to be fun. I only recently ever got to see a replica Batmobile in person, and as great as that vehicle is on TV, when you see it in person, man, it just sort of takes your breath away. Yeah. Now, you said you were fascinated with the technology. As a kid and growing up, did you build models? Were you mechanically inclined? I mean, is this... Uh, y yes, models for sure. And I, again, was fascinated with 1950s items, you know, right out of high school. So I started buying vintage old neon clocks. So hmm. really fascinated with that stuff. And then I started replicating them. So we started just reproducing them. For 10 years, I did jukebox coin-op shows. And that's how I made a living for about 10 years is just replicating clocks and buying and selling old Coke machines, jukeboxes. I tell people if it's heavy and in your basement, I want to buy it. Mm. So and met some interesting characters. Now I'm thinking, gosh, I probably never should have gone down in that basement with that guy. <laughs> so, but you, know, you live and learn. So probably good to have a conceal and carry now. But uh, oh, it, I would imagine so. But you know, there's something about all those things, those, those old neon lights, the old uh, jukeboxes, and then of course those Coke machines. You know, I try to tell my kids now how how much different the vending machines were back, you know, when I was a kid in the 70s, because there were a lot of those old ones still around. I remember the barbershop that I went to as a kid had one of those ones. It was like a chest where you had to like guide the, and of course everything was in bottles. You had to guide the bottle out through a little maze and then pull it out after you put the coins in. You're familiar with that type, of course. Yes, they're called sliders. And it's funny that you mentioned barbershop. There was one where we went as kids, same thing. I think it was mandatory that they put sliders in every barber shop in the country because mm. it's funny. That's where most of them ended up. Exactly. And, uh, but yeah, it's kind of funny, but yeah. So all that stuff has fascinated me over the years and it kind of got me sideways into a business now building Gotham cruisers. Okay. Well, that's great. Let's talk about Gotham cruisers. Now, Gotham cruisers, for those that don't know we're we'll let you explain it to <laughs> 
to me what that sure, is. I yeah. think I think we know what we're talking about the from the Batman TV show from the 1960s, but you explain it. Sure. You know, the original Batmobile years ago somebody replicated it and over a course of time there were molds pulled and different things. So we obtained a body, uh, but we don't use the term Batmobile. That's a trademark name. So we build Gotham cruisers. We have a mold for the 66 cruiser. We also do the Keaton car, which is the 89. Mm. They're full size. I think the 66 is right around 19 feet long. And the 89 is right around 21 feet long. Huge car. Wow. It's amazing. They're the largest cars that you could buy. And they're still just a two seater. Mm. So it's kind of interesting. But I obtained a, uh, a 66 body years ago from a guy went out of state to pick it up. And as I was driving this car back that was in two pieces and rough as a cob, thinking, what did I just buy? I thought, you know, if I do this right and build this car for myself and I learn how to do fiberglass work, I had like a 14-hour drive, so I had a lot of time to think about this. And I thought, boy, I could sell kits to people and they could fund my build. And I thought, you know, on paper, this looked great. So I literally started replicating this body and the kit started to take off in one man shop. Now the thing is, we've been in business 15 years full time and I still don't have a car for myself. <laughs> That's crazy. Gosh, you've been doing this for 15 years. That's amazing. 15, yeah, I know. My wife is just as amazed as you are. So, you know, it's a niche market. I mean, it's very, very select group of people that would want, uh, you know, a replica bat car. Exactly. And um, yeah. we have uh, full build examples of the 89 that are literally all over the country. We have one in Japan, even. Oh, wow. That's very cool. So is it primarily for the uh, Gotham Cruisers, the bat cars, the Batmobiles, whatever, from the 66 TV show? Are you primarily doing kits, or have you done some full builds as well? The full build on the 66, not so much. The full build on the 89, the Michael Keaton car, is kind of our bread and butter. The 66 is primarily kits. We also have done a lot of 89 kits as well. So we do, uh, you know, the, the rear flamethrower uh, runs off of propane. We also do simulated fire 30 caliber machine guns that come up out of the fenders and fire. It's an interesting experience with these cars because they, they're on air ride. They have new crate 350 small block Chevy engines in them and air conditioning, and they're pretty decked out. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because I had no idea that the 1989 Bat car was larger than the 1966 car. Yeah, the 89, it's like 88 inches wide and 140-inch wheelbase where the uh, the 66, it's not as wide and it has 127-inch wheelbase. But lengthwise, they're fairly close to each other. Just the 89 looks so much bigger and not having doors, having that single slide canopy. You know, very reminiscent, I think, of a, like a jet fighter. Sure. Well, with both of these vehicles, you had to do a lot of technical research on them. What can you tell us about the history of the original 1966? Uh... Absolutely. The 66 was actually a concept car made by Lincoln uh, in 1955. It was called the Lincoln Futura. And apparently they did all the testing They like they do with concept cars. They kept it for a few years. And apparently what I have read is George Barris had a deal with Ford and Lincoln to buy concept cars if he wanted them. And apparently the rumor has it that he paid a dollar for the original Batmobile, which was not the Batmobile at the time. Mm. And he kind of put it out behind a shop and figured he would probably use it in a TV show or a movie down the road. And I guess 1966 rolled around and there was a, another customizer in Hollywood that was building a Batmobile for the TV series, but it was based off of a 1959 Cadillac and he wasn't going to get it done in time. He contacted his buddy, George Barris and said, Hey, this is kind of what they want. He said, I think I've got the car. So they pulled the Futura kind of out of the lot took 30 days to turn it into the iconic Batmobile and then handed it off to the studios and the rest is history. So was the original, because you mentioned that Barris made some replica cars that he put on the road for shows, was the original car, did it have a metal body essentially, or was it also fiberglass? It was actually a steel body uh, made by one of the coach companies, I think over in Italy. They spared, you know, Lincoln just put a ton of money into the car. 
Mm. And it was on like, I think a 55 Lincoln premier chassis that they built the car off of. It could be maybe off by a year on that. Uh, again, what I have heard doing shows over the years and talking to George, I met him a few times and we went out to Hollywood to see a shop and just visit the Holy Grail number one car uh, way, way back. Apparently the car was so popular, it got fan mail. Mm. They thought, you know, let's capitalize on this. Let's duplicate the car. Let's make some molds and tooling. So they made three fiberglass replicas for the show circuit. But when you watch the TV series, it's the number one car. There's only one episode where you see one of the replicas and it's parked in the Batcave. Uh-huh. Um, I'm assuming the number one car was on location. They couldn't get it. So they just brought that in for one scene. But when you see the car driving, it's the number one. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. It's such a beautiful design, and there's so many gadgets and gadgets on it that are also cool. Like yeah. the, you talk about the exhaust and the mortar tubes in the back and the uh, siren and bat beam <laughs> antenna that comes up yeah. out of the front. I mean, there's so many great things about that car that are cool. And the not too often seen battering ram in the front, that's another good feature yeah. of that car. But to me, what really sells that whole thing is the paint job. The paint job on that car is absolutely beautiful. And I don't know if that's hard to replicate today or not. Yeah, over the years, people have always wondered, you know, what color was the red stripe? Over the years, you know, with time, stories kind of change a little bit. But we at one time were using a house of color paint that it was a fluorescent red. Mm. And that's like the closest thing we have found to the what we think was the original, were the original colors. Mm. Um, but you're right. The red accents on the body. Absolutely. And the car was so futuristic looking, you know, you have to remember it was made in 55. It was a futuristic looking car, jet age, all that good stuff. And then Barris flared the wheel wells because it was a skirted car all the way around when Lincoln had it made. So Barris opened it up. So it looked very 60s, very muscle car ish. Yeah and added the bat gadgets to it. I've got a fine picture that George did for me of the car going, I think, down the 101 freeway with the parachutes pop. <laughs> so the bat parachutes are out as he's driving down the highway. It's an awesome oh, picture. Man, oh, I'm jealous, man. You get, to, you get to deal with all that stuff. So, Well, then tell us about the history of the 1989 car. To, right. What do you know about that, technically? Well, not as much as the 66, but I do know that there was not an existing car like our 55 Lincoln. So basically, they started from scratch, sculpted it up, I believe it was all done over in England, and then pulled like we did on ours, then pulled multiple pieces of tooling off the car. Everything is bolted together. So basically, when it's all laid up, uh, you can pop everything and the mold will come off of the body that you laid up inside of it. So basically, they started with that. But you can see, you know, you look at the 89, and I feel for the movie franchise that they did, I think that, for me, that was the first, last movie car that still looked like a car. Yeah. Because it kind of Corvette influence with the big sweeping front fenders, mm-hmm. but still looked with the back fins in the back and the canopy. So it, it had a bunch of different things going. It was futuristic looking, but, but then the movie's kind of set with some people in the dress in 40s or 50s, and uh, it was kind of all over the place. The car is kind of the same way, I feel. But as they progressed, I feel in the movies that, honestly, I think the cars just kind of got stranger, kind of over the top. Exactly. I think they morphed into something almost like uh, all-terrain, you know, military-type vehicles. They didn't have that same flair that the 66 and that 89 bat car have. So, I mean, you know. Yeah, safe to say we don't get a lot of calls about anything like that. We've had some interesting requests. And over the years, we've built a number of different things, non-car related too, but kind of some iconic props and different things. But yeah, the car stuff, the 89 is, you know, who wouldn't love a car with 30 caliber machine guns? So Yeah, when you're stuck in traffic, boy, you have an awful temptation <laughs> to want to press that button. <laughs> That's true. That was, so, yeah. And the flamethrower kind of cuts down on people tailgating you as well. So it just, I would think that would do it. Well, you mentioned that George Barris has the original 66 Batmobile. Does he still? Four or five years ago, he did sell it. It went up for auction. And it's funny, like years before, my wife and I had, uh, actually, this is the good wife that I have. On our honeymoon, we went to California, to Hollywood to visit Barris's shop and see the Batmobile. 
And, and actually, back then, uh, this was back in 2001, we were using the disposable cameras, but it looked like a camera and it had film in it that was still the point, click, and crank. I'd burn up one whole roll, and it's like I told my wife, I said, honey, you're going to have to go down to the end of the street here. There's a convenience store. I have to stay with the car. You know, go get some more cameras. You know, not a bad neighborhood, not a great neighborhood. Probably should have gone with her, but uh, I, I couldn't leave the car. You know, that's a good wife that actually went to go get the cameras and allowed me to stay with the car. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So he sold it uh, four years ago. Any idea what it went for or was that all private? It, it, no, I watched it live. It was happening online. It went for like $4.5 million. Wow. And it's funny, again, years before, we're sitting in the car. I remember it was George's son. He said, hey, you know, be careful of the driver's door. It doesn't quite latch right. This is the car that was on the TV show, Adam West. Mm. Look through the same canopies that I'm sitting there looking through. But it just was in kind of disrepair. So they fixed it up a little bit before they sold it. And I've, I have heard that it's sold again. Wow. And now it's finally being restored. So it's getting kind of some respect back, I have heard. So that's a good thing. That Because over the years, things have been changed on it. Things have been taken off of it. And there's a lot of things on the car that were not period correct when the show ended. So, Well, it, it is a good thing as long as it's not going to be hidden away. And, you know, things like that, I always feel like it's, they need to be seen. It's sort of like, you know, I hate for... I, I totally agree. And I hope that once the restoration is done, that it will reappear. I do know a customer that we had years ago, he has one of the replica cars, which those are very sought after because it's a Barris built car, you know, time frame period to the show. So he has one of those, had it fully restored. We built him also a bat boat. So we did one of the 66 boats as well. Wow. Then we also sold him a cycle. So we did a 66 cycle for him. Do you remember, and I know you know this, with the bat cave and Alpha Control and the Jupiter 2 have one large computer head in common, and the it's the Burroughs head. Yes, yes. The and iconic with the flashing little lights, and <laughs> they're great. Yes, and I think 20th Century Fox owned all of them because they were in every show that right. came out of Fox. The Batcave had them, and we replicated, I think, a half a dozen for him because wow. his plans were to do a, a, like a museum, and he needed bat computers. So we did the iconic Burroughs head, which is, it's cool in itself. It definitely is. I mean, I'd love to have one of those. That's something I could actually probably find room for in my basement. Although my wife, <laughs> she's cut from the same cloth as your wife is, but you know, it's like there is a limit at some point. Where <laughs> how much, <laughs> that's right. How much can there. you fit into this basement lane? You need to, <laughs> you need to pace yourself here. So yeah. that's correct. It's interesting with that. When we delivered the cycle to this gentleman on the East Coast, he said, hey, I, I got to show you guys something I just picked up. And, and we're thinking, because this guy is just, he's a fanatic about this stuff. So we couldn't wait. He opened up a storage, because that's where we delivered the bike and the, and the Burroughs heads to. And it was the number two Grandpa's Dragula. Wow, from the Munsters. And, and it was amazing. And it's a stretched casket. And we're looking inside of it, and it's like the rear end of the car. You're basically sitting. The rear end is right in front of you. So if that would ever come apart when you're driving it down a drag strip, it would be a bad scene. Mm. So it was fascinating to see it. Was that a Barris vehicle as well? It was. Uh, George did the uh, Dragula and the Munsters coach as well, yeah. Interesting. Give us an idea, like whatever you want to share with us. Uh, we're going to direct people to your great GothamCruisers.com website where people can contact you and get more information. But I'm guessing if people are interested in one of these kits, they're not going to have to pony up $4 million plus dollars. But, you know, it's probably still a significant investment for some of these things, isn't it? Absolutely. We would take $4 million and, you know, just factor in a tip, a very heavy <laughs> tip. But... Um, but no, the, the, like the, like the 89 kit, the fire, and basically the kit consists of fiberglass parts, the main body, the canopy, the trunk lid, uh, gun doors, weapons doors, the basic fiberglass hard to replicate from scratch parts we make 
and they're around $9,500 for the kit. Uh, we sell the 66 kit that has the bubble canopies, you know, the arch and the antlers and, mm. uh, uh, again, hood and trunk and the top dash. So rear package tray, really cool. When you start stacking up all the parts, it's like, wow, especially when you set the canopies on that car, it could be a body shell sitting on sawhorses. But once you put those canopies on, it miraculously becomes the car. Mm. It's so cool to see that. Uh, we're selling those for $8,500. So kit-wise, you know, not out of no. the realm of possibilities for a lot of people to own. Uh, over the years, we've been blessed to have a lot of people to buy kits. And, and we get a lot of feedback from people that, and we get calls all the time. It's like, well, I'm at this stage, you know, can you help us? So, And we're, we're happy to do it. And there's quite a few cars driving around that have started with our kit. So we're happy and proud about that. Oh, that's got to make you feel great, you know, because. Absolutely. You're fulfilling people's dreams. I mean, it's... And, and again, I have to live vicariously through them because we still don't have a car. So um, <laughs> I get a chance to drive all the ones we, we do as full builds on the 89s and the cycles. We just delivered a cycle uh, last week, as a matter of fact, that was going down to Texas. They're fun because they're based off of a 1966 Yamaha. And I have to think, you know, how studios work and how, you know, they want a certain bike or they need something they need this thing with a crazy sidecar and i have to think back in the day there wasn't a ton of thought they probably looked around it's like you know i've got that yamaha sitting in the corner let's do that mm. because they had it because i don't know why you build it off of a 250 cc bike but they did yeah so well this will show you how much of a geek i am i believe weren't there two different versions of the bat cycle because the first Very one that I, yeah i kind of remember the first one had more or less a conventional sidecar but the one that's really cool i think it might have debuted in the movie that came out between the first season and the second season that one had the little crazy sidecar that you're i think you're talking about that ejected and so that they could yeah enter the Batcopter on both sides. Is that the one that you're doing kits for? Yes, that's the one we do kits and full build cycles. And you are correct. The first Bat cycle was a Harley with a Harley sidecar. And mm. that's probably more rare now than the Yamahas. I've never seen it on film. I've only seen production stills of that. But you're right. They had a bigger budget for the movie. So they came out with the Bat boat, the Bat helicopter, and the Bat cycle, along with the Batmobile. But you're right, Robin's go-kart would basically run so they could drive it separately from the bat cycle. Yeah, cool. Of course, it scares you to death to think about riding on that little, because you have no protection whatsoever, <laughs> whatsoever Robin did. <laughs> exactly. As a matter of fact, we had the pleasure of meeting Adam West and Burt Ward over the years and doing some different shows with them. And Burt's story is that if Adam had... If he had to drink a glass of water, they would bring in the stunt double, but they would blow Burt Ward up on a daily basis. It's like, you know, dynamite, no problem. Well, the stunt man's, you know, in the trailer, just leave him in. We'll just use Burt. And uh, I guess he got hurt on the the Robin sidecar. Oh. Um, I guess he drove it off into a ditch or something. So, which I could see that. I could absolutely see that. Yeah, it is absolutely yeah. crazy to think about. Yeah, I've read several stories about him getting injured on <laughs> filming the yeah. the series, and then he was getting paid like way less than guest stars. I think the whole time, but you oh, wow. know, he's uh, enjoying his fame now. He's in high demand, you know. Now that we've lost Adam and everything, but gosh, that is so cool, uh, Doug. Now, what about the 1989 car? Is that original still in existence someplace? What do you know about that? Yeah, I apparently I think they made four or five for the first movie. If you remember the OnStar commercial that was a few years after the first or I think the second movie came out, that was one of the original cars as well. So to my understanding, they're all still in existence. I know Warner Brothers has at least one original car, but I believe the others are now in private hands. I believe Jeff Dunham the entertainer has one of the uh, uh, Warner Brothers cars. He owns one. Oh, wow. That is cool. You know, I have never seen one of those 1989 cars in person, but hey, maybe I'll get to see one of your replicas someday. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's the customers when they come. We've had some customers show up and drive them home. We have mm. we had one guy that came down from Michigan and drove five and a half hours back to his house in his 89. First, he'd never been in the car before. So we... Uh, uh, all crossed ourselves, 
gave him a pair of jumper cables and wished him well. He and he jumped in it and they literally took off. He, his buddy was following him in a truck and he wow. said people driving on the highway racing up beside him to take a picture. Oh yeah. He said a couple times they kind of drifted over and almost ran him off the road. So the, most people that are buying the 89s now are doing charity work. So they're doing a lot of really cool stuff, taking it to hospitals so kids can see this stuff. And we've got a, a gentleman that purchased a full build from us down in Gainesville. That's all he does. Basically, he's got a big business, but he devotes most of his time to the charity work and he's driving our car around all over the place, which is really gratifying. That is, man. So you are making dreams come true in more than one way, Doug. That's got to give you a lot of personal satisfaction. It, it does. It's a lot of fun. And we had a chance to be down there with him at an event. And I've never seen that. Just to see the reaction of these kids that mm. would come up was humbling, very humbling. But the charity stuff is wild. You know, it's funny. When people come into our shop and they look around, it's like, this has got to be the best job in the world. We're so used to it now. So we're kind of tainted. Mm. But it's infectious. The people that come in, they're so, they get so excited when they're seeing this stuff because obviously you don't normally see this in a shop or anywhere. So it's fun to kind of live through folks that visit us. And we're really not even open to the public, but when they come in, they get a big kick out of it. So we kind of feed off that. It's a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I hope you're enjoying this fascinating interview with Gotham Cruiser's Mr. Doug Hines as much as I am. The passion he has for classic sci-fi adventure TV and film really shines through. He's got more to share about his new venture, producing screen-accurate Lost in Space robot replicas, and much more. So sit tight for part two of our interview with B9 robot producer Doug Hines. Speaking of making dreams come true, let's shift gears because I could talk about Batman and the related vehicles all day, but we want to talk about Lost in Space Robots because that's your newest offering. But start at the beginning. How did you first get involved in the world of building B9 robots? Absolutely be happy to. Back in 1997, I ran across a book and it told me how to build the Lost in Space robot. It was a good book overall, a little vague. But it gave me some great ideas. It had some drawings in there so I could blow things up to what back then was considered scale or, you know, now we've, we've advanced leaps and bounds. But back in the dark ages, back in the 90s, basically I used this book as a guide to build my first full-size B9 robot. Mm. I think I purchased the torso up in Michigan from a gentleman that basically had sculpted one. Everything was fabricated except the torso and the bubble. Everything else I made from scratch or had help making. Mm. Um, and there were Fox blueprints out at the time of the pedestals and the knees and different sections of the claws. So we used Fox blueprints to basically replicate and come to find out, that stuff's pretty close. It's not too far off now. Everything's a little tweaked. Not to say that those were the last blueprints that they used, but it was a good guide. So that was back in 97 that built my first one. How long did it take you to do that build? I think off and on, probably close to a year mm, Okay. to actually get it done. And then I thought, again, thinking, well, if we could replicate maybe the torso so other people could possibly build one. So I started selling parts and making parts. I don't even remember if I even had the internet or a computer at the time. And then I ran across the B9 Builders Club. Been a member of that for a long, long time. Used to go to the robot gatherings and things. And then different companies came up that were licensed to build. And they had various degrees of success. The first few, not so much. It was interesting how everything kind of was boiled down to today as far as going to shows and meeting Bob May, the actor that was inside the suit, which he was just such a sweetheart of a guy. Yeah. Uh, and we miss him terribly. Absolutely. So, 
Well, as you yeah. know, I had an opportunity to interview and meet one of your buddies there, Craig Reinbrecht from the B9 Robot Builders Club. That was a real education for me because, like you said, at those early days when you started doing it, there was a lot of incomplete knowledge. But today, I mean, the level of detail, what Craig told me was compared to the robot that was actually on screen, some of these replicas are just like head and shoulders nicer, <laughs> if you will. You know, they really are. And it's amazing that the... Well, thanks to Kevin Burns and the different people that helped, you know, restore the original costume, the hero suit, that we've gotten such detail now that we know the the correct rib shape for the collar. Hmm. You know, we know exactly what type of lights were used, you know, on the chest, and we know the minutia of it is incredible. And the hier- we call it the hieroglyphics up in the brain. We've obtained original rubbings from the background suit. So it it just doesn't get any better than that. We just can't get any more accurate. It's incredible. Yeah. I refer to the, you know, when I built my first one in 97, that was like the Wild West. Sure. You know, anything went, it really did because it was close. You could tell what it was. And uh, overall, proportion wise, it was good. But my gosh, what people are making now and what we're producing now is just head and shoulders above everything. So that robot that you built way back then, do you still have that robot or did you wind up selling it? Or Yeah, the, the very first one I ever built, I sold to an auction house out of Atlanta. And I'm based in Ohio here. So sold it to an auction house. They ran it through a catalog, ended up selling it to a bar owner, I was told later, in Cleveland. So it's funny, it went from Dayton, Ohio to Atlanta, and it was heading back to Cleveland, but apparently the trucking company that was hauling the robot somehow horribly damaged the robot in transit. And I got this from the police later, this whole story. Instead of them owning up to, hey, we really messed this up, apparently they threw the whole robot out of the truck into a ditch. And then they claimed that somebody broke into their truck and vandalized the robot. And I pick up a a National Enquirer one day, and there's a picture of a really trashed Lost in Space robot inside of the National Enquirer, and it was my robot. What? And and I was looking at the robots like, that's the one that I built. And uh, Yeah, then soon after that, insurance companies called me. They needed to get values for the auction house and the, the owner that never got his robot. Oddly enough, they had the story wrong. I know it's hard to believe that the National Enquirer did not print a story correctly, <laughs> but uh, they were saying it was the original robot from Lost in Space. Oh, wow. But it, but it was one from my basement. Yeah, that's what happened to the, the sad number one robot for me, the very first one, I guess, will live in infamy. I guess so. To make the National Enquirer, that's something else. And then you mentioned exactly. that you built several other robots for other people before you started this venture commercially producing them, which begs my question, yeah. do you actually own your own personal robot at this point in time? Or is that like the Batmobile, your son's it's robot? Pretty, pretty much like the Batmobile. We we have to live vicariously through other people. So uh, <laughs> eventually, eventually we will make one and just slide it aside and that will be mine forever and ever. But I've had several that I've kept for a period of a few years and then a customer would contact me and, you know, as fate would have it, then we would swap and trade or sell. But we hope to eventually have one of everything we build. So I'm going to have to get a bigger house and a bigger garage. That is very cool. Well, I guess maybe we should definitely talk about your new venture, the commercially produced new B9 robots. Absolutely. Well, I was talking with Craig from the B9 Club, and we were talking about doing these. And I said, you know, we built several robots for customers over the years. And again, there was one company, the last company that built them did a fantastic job, but they were pretty high priced. They were around $25,000 a copy. Mm-hmm. And out of the scope of some people, that's just a lot of money to, to plunk down for a replica. Um, so we're talking about it. He said, you know, I think possibly the rights, you might be able to get them. You have to talk to Kevin Burns. So he helped line things up. I was going to be in California one week in October a few years ago, and I emailed them. And sure enough, they said, sure, come in for a meeting. And after talking with them, it's like, this is what we'd like to do. We'd like to make a more budget-friendly version of our friend, the B9. And he was 
all for it. And the more we talked and showed him pictures of what we've done in the past, we had the great good fortune this January to deliver to Kevin his prototype robot so he could make sure everything was good and up to his standards. We drive from Ohio all the way to California to hand deliver his robot to him. We get there to his office. We walk in there screening something or watching something. It's like, these two people in front look very familiar. And it's like, wait a minute, that's Bill Moomy and Angela Cartwright. So we had two original Lost in Space cast members there. What great timing. They loved it. They loved seeing the robot and lots of pictures taken with them. And it was just so cool that we had a chance to be with our robot, our creation with Kevin and I say two original cast members. Like, how cool is that? Oh, you can't top that. That is awesome. It was happenstance, just happened to be that day that we were there, that they were in his office screening some things that he was showing them. And it was a lot of fun. And then I guess a few weeks later, William Shatner stopped by. We've got a great picture of Shatner with our Lost in Space robot. So two iconic shows collide right there. Absolutely. That's, well, needless yeah. to say, I take it Kevin was pleased. Kevin gave us the official thumbs up okie dokie. He was very happy with it and uh, loved the idea of, like say, of a more budget-friendly robot. We are retailing our robots for $17,500. We have Dick Tufeld's original voice coming out of the chest. The neon lights up. We have all the uh, original, the crown spins, the little sensor ears spin. We have separate on-off controls for that. Wow. Uh, The programming bay door opens so you can change the reel out. So if Dr. Smith swings by and wants to kill the family, uh, like they did in the original first episode, he can change the reel. Let's see. It's posable as far as you can rotate it at the waist. You can rotate and open the claws manually. And the power pack turns everything on and off. So when you unplug it, it shuts off. So it's incredible. But Wonderfest was a lot of fun this year. We were striving to get one of our replicas finished for the show, but we had a series of tornadoes blow through a week before the show. So it didn't damage our shop, but it killed our power. We couldn't work out of the shop. It did destroy our mechanic shop. So we were busy the whole week digging him out. Mm. And several of our Gotham cruisers got damaged. So we had to deal with that. So we couldn't make it to Wonderfest with a robot, but we had a chance to take a lot of still pictures that we had and talk to people and be there with the B-9ers. It was fun. We had a good time. And actually, after digging out from a tornado for a whole week, that was a nice welcome break. Oh, I can imagine. Well, it looks beautiful. The pictures are gorgeous. And, you know, I can't wait to see one in person. What do you think about production time, delivery? And I know you're only at the beginning of doing some major marketing for this thing, but what are the outlooks on that? Yeah, we're pretty packed and stacked with vehicles and, you know, trying to run basically two businesses out of one building. We're looking at three months delivery time once we get a contract, sign contract uh, with our customer and get a deposit. But yeah, so we're looking at three month turnaround time and we are as accurate as we're ever going to get. Again, leaps and bounds compared to way, way back. We're using the best of the best as far as the most accurate parts, the claws and different things, the bubbles. Everything is just spot on as we can get it. Where some people have gone with more of the background suit, we're doing the Bob May in the suit second, third season look where the legs are kind of squashed and squatty and not symmetrical. It's more of the hero look. To me, that's more the robot than the background look where the legs are perfectly symmetrical and a little bit tall. I know other companies way, way back have done it that way. We've gone with more of the how he looked when he was second, third season. Oh, yeah. That's what I could tell from looking at the pictures. No, to me, that's that's the robot. You know, the background, the, the stunt double or whatever. Obviously, it was on the show and everything. But when you were watching the robot, 99% of the time you were seeing what you've replicated there. And it just looks fantastic. And second, third season look is probably the most popular version of the robot, I would guess, compared to first season. Because there there are some changes between first and second season and the paint job and so forth. Paint job, the color of the buttons, some subtle things. The legs were completely different. The legs were kind of crummy. <laughs> they really were. I was not a big fan of the look of the legs the first season at all. Like I said, second, third season where he had that squatty, lived-in look. 
and uh, we hand sculpted the legs to give it the correct look. Actually, and that was one of the things that Kevin insisted on as far as the depth of the legs we were showing and what we had prototyped. And it's like, well, let's do better. Let's do it this way. And I'm glad, honestly, I'm glad he pushed me into doing that because I think we hit a home run on the, on the look of the legs. So, and that's thanks to Kevin Burns. At the time, I wasn't thrilled about that, but I had to totally redo it and redo tooling, but honestly made for a much better looking robot. So I'm thrilled that he told me to do that. It was good. That is a good thing. It's always nice to get pushed to do a little bit above and beyond because in the end, you know, you've got a superior product and still, again, it's priced you know, more affordably, I think, for a larger segment of the market that's out there. I'm hoping to be one of your future customers because it's on my bucket list to have one of these B9 robots. And it brings up another question, though. Do you have any future appearances scheduled where folks might get a chance to see your offerings in person? We do. I just worked out a deal the other day with the gentleman in the Pittsburgh area. It's a show is called Monster Bash. Apparently, Marta and Mark will be there so again, two original cast members, and okay. we're going to have our our robot there for photo ops with them. So we're we're going to we're going to be setting up at Monster Bash, and I believe it's in the Pittsburgh area, and I believe it's in October. But we'll have details on our website uh, about that, and we have another show tentatively for September. I've got a we're going to look into that, but we want to do shows to promote what we're making we're going to try to have more of a of a website presence of the b9 it's funny we don't advertise our gotham cruisers yet people constantly call and email but we've been doing it so long and it's just being out there you know on the web well we'd like to jump start the b9 stuff and get it going a little quicker because we want to be building these for a long time we're having fun doing it and talking to people and but we're trying to come up with some different marketing ideas and shows are definitely a lot of fun to do. And again, it's, they can actually see the product and better than a photo. They can actually walk around it and I can show them all the features and the fun things about it. Well, I have to say, having gone to the Winterfest last year, seeing is believing, because until you see one of these B9s in person, they're fascinating. You can't tear your eyes off of There's so much eye candy involved with that design, and I think that's why it's held up to this day. It really is something special. I would agree. You know, when Kinoshita designed it, I think he called our B9 Blinky. Mm. Blinky robot um, with all the incandescent bulbs. We do the same thing we use. We use a little flasher bulbs, just like they did in the original. So every time it comes on, it's a totally random pattern that all the lights, the belly lights and the brain lights are all blinking all the time. So, but yeah, it's amazing. The the iconic design that it's been 50 years and it's as popular as ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gosh. Man, what a great thing. And, you know, it's long overdue. It's been a little while since this has been available to people. And I'm so happy for you. And I'm so happy for people out there that have wanted to own a B9 robot of their own and didn't feel like they had the wherewithal to build one. Now there's going to be an opportunity for them at Gotham Cruisers. So, of course, we're going to link to your website, which I encourage all Lost in Space fans and Batman fans alike to take a look at because you've got some great pictures and information on there. And in addition to the Batman stuff and the Lost in Space robot, you've done some other interesting nostalgia pieces. Would you like to share any of the things that you've done with us just for kicks? Oh, sure. Absolutely. One of one of the most fun things that we've replicated, I think, to date would be our 1960s Aurora. It's called a tub track. It's a slot car track. These were in hobby shops all over the country. You had, it was an indented racetrack, and then they would put the, the lock and joiner HO scale track in these tubs. Um, you can only put it put the track in one way, and it was like a six lane road course. Oh, wow. So we've re- we've replicated the the tub itself. It's five feet wide by twelve feet long, and um, so cool. Again, sixties nostalgia. The the originals are incredibly difficult to find. We had an opportunity to uh, clean one up and pull tooling off an original sixties Aurora tub. And those are the, those are you know same company that did all the great monster kits and sure. all the different R kits over the years. So Aurora is a, was a big name and all that stuff. We've we've replicated a 1940s jukebox uh, Seabird teardrop speaker before. We were doing those for a while. Uh, we have done Captain Kirk's command chair. Oh, that wow. was fun. We would love to talk to somebody 
to try to get licensed to do those. We now have the ability to do stuff in fiberglass where before we were doing it in wood and then skinning everything in plastic and cleaning everything. A ton of body work involved where fiberglass, a nice mold, and then we're getting nice parts out of out of nice tooling. So minimal body work and we could replicate them a little quicker and actually nicer overall condition. So that is so neat, Doug. It sounds like Gotham Cruisers is literally a dream factory. It's uh... <laughs> We've had the opportunity to make a lot of fun things over the years, and we're, we're looking into some interesting, different, iconic vehicles to possibly replicate and possibly get licensing for down the road. Some really wild street rod type things from the 60s. We've got big ideas. So it's just finding the time and the energy and the room to do them. So we always have some fun things on the burner. That's cool. Well, I should mention for the uh, listeners out there that we're actually recording this in June of 2019. So if you're listening to <laughs> if you're listening to this interview, you know, in the year 2100 or something like that, you may have missed Doug's appearance at the Monster Bash <laughs> in Pittsburgh, but we'll definitely link on our show notes to his website and if I can get a link to Monster Bash, I'll put that on there too so people are aware of that. I have to put that little advisory into these podcasts. That's very interesting. I guess like you said, it goes on forever. It really does. And so, but hopefully in 2100, your uh, company, uh, and maybe you'll be here too, who knows, <laughs> we'll still be making uh, Gotham Cruisers and V9 uh, <laughs> robots, man. I hope it doesn't take me that long to be able to afford one of those robots because gosh, they're just so beautiful. Well, Doug, before we wrap things up, is there anything else that we should know about you and your company? Well, like I said, if there's any questions that anybody has, please feel free to call me or uh, email. That's a, another good way to get a hold of me. We're a mom and pop shop. We're a Christian led company and we love talking with people. And if we can help you in any of this fun, nostalgic stuff, we'd be more than happy to. The newest thing would be the B9. And we're really jazzed about that. We're very excited. It's my childhood. Our, it's funny. The newest thing we have in our shop is like 1989. We kind of love that. Oh, well, I'm a fan of everything you're doing. Well, thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough for having me on. It was a pleasure talking with you. And as you can tell, I hate talking about this stuff. Oh, me so, too. Just kidding. <laughs> I, 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 we could go on and on and on. Absolutely. We're kindred souls in that regard, sir. So it's been a real pleasure. I thank you again. And hopefully we'll talk to you real soon, Doug. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was a blast talking with Doug Hines from Gotham Cruisers. It's great to know that thanks to him and his team, there will once again be series-accurate licensed B9 robot replicas commercially available for sale to the public. Check out his website to learn more about his new line of classic B9 robots, as well as his other creations. They're awesome. In the meantime, we will be back next time with another episode of Alpha Control where Kurt and I will get back to reviewing our beloved original Lost in Space. Until then, take care, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, fellow Galactic Castaways, for listening to the Alpha Control Podcast. Please leave your comments or questions on our Facebook page, Twitter, or email us at alphacontrolpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast via libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. Or through iTunes. If you like the show, please leave us a review as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week, same time same channel.